Thanks for listening to this teaching from City of Life Church. Check out www.col.tv for more great teachings, service times, and information on upcoming events. Now, let's join the service already in progress. Great atmosphere today. Great atmosphere of worship and praise. Power of the Holy Spirit's moving here. I want to welcome everyone that's watching online. Welcome everyone. If you're visiting here, welcome to City of Life. You came during a great time. This is the end of our Homecoming Revival uh, series. And um, I love what God has done over the last several months here at City of Life in our Sunday morning services. We've had some incredible guests. We've also been putting together this thing called Blink. And uh, Blink, uh, Dark and Light, if you have not seen it yet, is a truly incredible show. Uh, Thousands and thousands and thousands and thousands of people have seen Blink so far. Uh, This show has been running on and off since 1998 is when we first introduced Blink. Over 60,000 people have given their hearts to Jesus since we began this production. Uh, It's truly remarkable. Uh, And, and, you know, we've experienced a lot of great moments in the history of Blink, but I will tell you, this is a first because Blink normally starts slow and builds momentum. Uh, Last night was the fifth straight Sellout. It sold on all five nights in a row. There has not been one ticket available. Sellouts every single night. We've never done that before. It normally starts out like half, you know, the first night and the second night, it's 75% sellouts every single night. And they're coming from all over. I met someone uh, from Germany. Uh, Their team came here from Germany. They heard about it and flew here to come see Blink. They're coming from other states, coming from all over the place to see this production. It is truly, truly remarkable. And every night I get a chance to talk to people when we're baptizing and we're just baptizing so many brand new people that are coming to Jesus. I'll hear people say, my mom got saved at Blink in 2000. And then she came and invited me. And then I got saved, you know, in 2013. And then now my friend is getting saved and getting baptized. It's just the history, the generational history of the way God uses Blink and has used Blink in Central Florida as a forum for revival is truly, truly incredible. Is there anybody in the room that has got saved at Blink? You got saved at Blink? Raise your hand if you got saved at Blink. Look at that. Golly, come on. Give God some praise. Look at that. That's awesome. People got saved at Blink. Truly incredible. I run into people everywhere. Their life has been affected. Guys and I'm going to get to talk to our team that is served, but you should be proud of your fellow brothers and sisters at this church. The way they have served over the last several months, it is the most selfless, uh, God loving, God honoring way that people have just given their time, their talent, their treasure to pour into this vision. Our team prayed in this room for months when there was no one in here, but us over empty pews that God would move, that revival would happen. And we're seeing thousands of people coming to Christ. So it is so awesome. Your, your church family is just truly incredible. So thank you for supporting them. Thank you for supporting the vision. And if you haven't seen it yet, I guess you have to wait two years because we're sold out. Uh, I, I think there might be a couple of tickets left for tonight. Uh, there's some tickets for tomorrow night uh, for, the, for the nightmare performance. But uh, yeah, if, if, if you didn't get tickets, uh, it's going to be good in a couple of years too. So I said you'll, you'll enjoy it then. Uh, But yeah, I want to get into this message. Uh, I started a message uh, at the beginning of Homecoming Revival in the book of Judges. I I don't know, my my, novice came out as a teacher because I had like 10 points. I think I only got to two of them. Uh, So I'm just going to try to pick back up where I left off. I think it's a great story. Uh, I'm going to talk. My message today is just going to be called Tear It Down. 
and I'm going to pray, get right into it. Father, thank you for your goodness, your faithfulness. Thank you for all the people that are here today, that are watching online. Uh, what you're doing in our lives is truly extraordinary. We lift up the name of Jesus today. That's his matchless name. No other name can men call on where they can be saved other than the name of Jesus. And we thank you for your power, your purpose. Holy Spirit, we welcome you to continue to do a deep work in this place. Uh, let there be miracles throughout the preaching of the word, God. People need to be healed from diseases, sicknesses, uh, addictions, uh, pain, problems, mental anxieties. Lord, let them be set free through the teaching of the word. It doesn't have to be just in a prayer time or a, a worship time. It can be any spontaneous moment. We welcome you to do that uh, today, God, and continue to do supernatural things in this place. Let your hand be on blink as we finish out strong and our team to finish strong. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. <clears throat> amen. This story is about Israel um, getting away from the principles and the precepts of God and inviting other philosophies and other uh, types of thinking and integrating the world's way of thinking into their lifestyle that is supposed to be devoted toward God. What it does is it distances Israel from God and it distances them from his favor. And it puts them in a position in Judges chapter 6 where because of their disobedience, it, Judges 6 says it like this, Israel did evil in the eyes of the Lord. And for seven years, he gave them into the hands of the Midianites. So a lot of times when we walk away from God and we walk over into areas of, of our life that are just not blessed, and then we wonder why we're not being blessed, we walked into that area. We start asking for help for you know, God, please help me. It's like you're walking into a bad situation saying, please help me. And he's going, well, you know, I mean, I will help you, but come back over here. Come back over to the place where I've told you that my blessing resides. Why would you want to go into a place that doesn't have any favor, doesn't have any protection? You walk into a bad situation and pray for God to bless you over there. Come back over here where I've called you to live and then you won't be in that situation to begin with. That's exactly what's happening here. It says they did evil in the eyes of the Lord. For seven years, he gave them into the hands of the Midianites. Because of the power of Midian was so oppressive, the Israelites prepared shelters for themselves in mountain clefts, caves, and strongholds. These are people that have been given the promised land and they're living in holes. They're living in caves, actually like animals. So they've lost God's favor in their life because they've invited things into their life that weren't supposed to be there to begin with. Look at someone next to you and say, you're going to have to be very judgmental in this service. Tell them, say, don't, don't be afraid. Say, you're going to have to be very judgmental. Look right at them. Say, and then look right back at them again and say, of yourself. Okay, so let's be judgmental today. Okay, but let's be judgmental of ourselves. This is what we're judging today, because I think we really easily find fault in other people, but rarely do we see the fault in ourselves. Uh, but today is us pretending to be Israel. And we're going to look at Israel and the way they've built their life and their camp and their world, what, what they've introduced in their life. And we're going to compare it to our own lives, because the same thing can happen to us personally if we use the philosophy that they used. So they're living in holes. They've been given a promised land, offered a, 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 to live in a land of milk and honey, uh, to have blessing and prosperity all around them. But even though they have the freedom to do that, they're not being able to enjoy it because they've made bad choices. And maybe you're living in a hole right now, spiritually. Maybe you're living in a place where you're, you're not experiencing all the favor and the blessing of God. And as a matter of fact, maybe you're living in this kind of way. It says they camped 
on the land, the Midianites did, and ruined all the crops all the way to Gaza and did not spare a living thing for Israel, neither sheep nor cattle nor donkeys. They came up with their livestock and their tents like swarms of locusts. It was impossible to count them or their camels. They invaded the land to ravage it. Midian so impoverished the Israelites that they cried out to the Lord for help. They literally were ruining Israel's life, destroying all of their crops, stealing it for themselves, killing their animals. Every good thing that Israel tried to do, the enemy was pushing back. You ever feel like the enemy has taken your stuff? That's what's happening to Israel. But this is the first smart thing that they do. Verse 6, Midian so impoverished the Israelites that they cried out to the Lord for help. When are we going to wise up and cry out to God for help? Stop trying to solve all of our own problems and turn to the one that can actually save us. That's what Israel does. That's right. I covered this in my last message, so I'm not going to stay there too long. But it says when the Israelites cried out to the Lord because of Midian, he sent them a prophet. And I'm grateful that God does that, that when we call out for help to God, he'll always give us a word. He'll always send us a word. And God sends a prophet to them and says, this is what the Lord the God of Israel says, I brought you up out of Egypt. See, this is what happens when we get off in the wrong place and we introduce all this junk into our life that doesn't belong. God starts reminding us, and here's what he says. He says, I brought you out of Egypt, the land of slavery. I rescued you from the hands of the Egyptians. I delivered you from the hands of your oppressors. I drove them out before you and gave you their land. I said to you, I am the Lord your God. Do not Worship the God of the Amorites in whose land you live, but you have not listened to me. Look at that person right now. I say, I told you, you got to judge yourself. Now look at him again and admit to him, say, I have not listened. And this is true. This is true because we allow things to creep into our lives. We, we allow just a little bit other voices of things that don't belong, things that we know they don't belong. Sometimes it starts small. It might be just something that we listen to, but then it becomes something that we read or something we open our lives up to or a person that is a little bit negative and we put up with it a time or two without addressing it. But then we start letting them talk. Then we start engaging in the conversation, different ways of thinking that makes us comfortable, that makes us more popular with culture that rather than standing out, and being distinct the way God has called us to, we introduce a little bit of secular philosophy into our lives. We open ourselves up to these things, and this is where it takes us. And God is not happy about it. And he calls them out directly. That's why I'm asking you to judge yourself. I'm not standing up here pointing at you. I'm asking you to point at yourself. It's much easier for you to do it. And he says, then it says, verse 11 says, the angel of the Lord came down and sat under the oak in Ophrah that belongs to Joash the Abizrite, where his son Gideon was threshing wheat in a wine press to keep it from the Midianites. So an angel comes to this tree where Gideon is, and we don't know much about Gideon yet, other than that he's a guy that's threshing wheat in a wine press. Uh, he's using something that's actually not meant for that. A wine press is not made for threshing wheat, but you can hide in it and it gives you coverage. Why was he doing it? Because he knew if I do this in the open, they're going to see it and they're going to steal it. He had a mentality that was already conditioned that the enemy is going to take my stuff. Because he had been living in a sinful atmosphere where he had introduced ideas that were not biblical, 
He had allowed things into his life. He saw the result of that, that the enemy comes and takes all your stuff. So he figured out a way to build a life in secrecy rather than living out in the open and, and, and enjoying the, the fruit of the land and having, you know, excitement and, and being proud of what God had given you. They had resorted to living this broken down kind of life where you're hiding. And that's where God finds him. I love this story. It's so good. God comes to him and he says this. The Lord is with you, mighty warrior. I don't know how you feel about your life, but sometimes I don't feel like a mighty warrior. Sometimes I feel very weak. Sometimes I think about myself and I think, you know, what am I doing leading? What am I doing pastoring? What am I doing giving an altar call? I have these thoughts and I make mistakes and I get insecure and all these things that flood my mind. But aren't you glad that it's not about the way we see ourselves. It's who God sees us as. God looks in, in a scared situation where he's hiding. His fear has overtaken him. And God actually calls him the opposite of what he is. He says, mighty warrior. Do me a favor. Look at someone. Now. Why don't you try someone different? Look at the person on the other side that you've been ignoring the whole service. Who's your second choice? And say, you are a mighty warrior. Tell them, say, you are a mighty warrior. They needed that confidence boost. They've been ignored so much. They're starting to get a complex by this time. You are a mighty warrior. Hey, let's do something. I did it in the last service, and it was kind of uh, uh, maybe a little odd, but I just want to encourage some people today. If you're here today and you don't feel like a mighty warrior, would you just lift your hand if you don't feel like a mighty warrior today? Maybe you're struggling with some stuff, and you don't feel like a mighty warrior. Well, keep your hand up, and let me just tell you something. You are a mighty warrior. God sees you as a mighty warrior today. Every person that lifted your hand, regardless of what you think about yourself today. And there's a reason why you're a mighty warrior, because Gideon goes on to explain, I, my family is the least. We are the least in the entire tribe. And he says, and I am the least in my entire family. So you pick the weakest tribe and the weakest person in the weakest tribe to call my warrior. So he pushes back against God and says, how could you ever use me? But has it ever occurred to you that when you start comparing yourself to other people, you say, I'm not that smart. I'm not that talented. I'm not that good looking. I'm not as privileged as they are. I don't have as many opportunities. Has it ever occurred to you that God chooses people like you? So that his power can be celebrated instead of your power can be celebrated. That's why God chooses the least likely. The Bible says that Jesus was a man of sorrows. Isaiah calls him a man of sorrows by whom men was rejected by men. He was rejected by men. He was lowly. It said there was nothing in his appearance that we should appreciate him. So let's just do right out with the fact that we had like hot Jim Caviezel Jesus that's in like, you know, Mel Gibson's movie. He's not this great looking guy that has the, or the, the remember the Jesus of, I can't remember his name from the 70s. Remember you guys, older guys, remember the Jesus of Nazareth with the blue eyes? Remember that guy that was so cool looking? Uh, no, Jesus was not this amazing looking charismatic person on the outside. That's not why God chose him. God made him a very humble person. And he used someone that was unlikely so that his power could be manifest in him. And in the same way, he looks at this hiding 
wimpy guy, and he calls him a mighty warrior. And the Lord says, well, let me tell you something. After he says, how can I save Israel? Because he says, you know, I love this too, by the way. The Lord looks at him and he says, go in the strength that you have. Oh, I love that so much today. You don't have to go in the strength that you're going to get. All you got to do is go in the strength that you have. You say, but I don't have any. No, you're not telling the truth because you're here today. You made it in this room. You got some strength. You, you put your clothes on. You got in a vehicle somehow. You got here. You got some strength. So that means whatever you have, go in that and go in faith today and God will use it. The Bible doesn't say you have to have faith the size of a mountain. The Bible says that you have, have to have faith the size of a mustard seed and then you can move what? Then you can move a mountain. You got to have to go in the faith that you have. You say, I don't have much faith, but you got some. You got a little bit. Go in what you got today. Look at someone actually say, go in what you got. Go in what you got today. And God says, I will be with you. And you will strike down all the Midianites, leaving none alive. Woo! I love that today. I love when I'm feeling insecure about my life. And I'm feeling like I made too many mistakes or messed up too many times. And God says, I got a dream for you, Jeff. When he just put something in my spirit, and I go, there's just no way. I just no one's ever done that. It, I got a dream for you, Jeff. But I've never seen anybody do that. I got a dream for you, Jeff. You start believing. You start look at someone next to you. Say, he's going to do it. Say, he's going to do it. Tell somebody. Say, he's going to do it. Oh, I love it. I hope faith is getting. Come on. I hope faith is getting stirred up today. All you need is that mustard side, mustard seed size faith today. Mustard seed size faith today. Oh, and he says, I'll be with you and you will strike down the Midianites, leaving none alive. But Gideon replied, if now I have found favor in your eyes, give me a sign that it is really you talking to me. He's basically saying, I don't want to die. So I got to make sure this is God. This is a big deal. <clears throat> and so he says, uh, please do not go away. Gideon says to him. Until I come back and bring my offering and set it before you. And the Lord said, I will wait until you return. So Gideon is moved and he wants to go make an offering to God. So I love this because this shows real devotion on his part. That when God starts speaking to you about something about your future, it requires a change of heart. It requires a change of action. If you feel like God is moving in your life and moving you into a new level of, of, of breakthrough in your life, then that's going to require new habits in your life. Would you agree with that? You're going to have to start trusting him more. You have to start worshiping more. You have to start thinking about your, your time different. It's going to change your behavior. It's going to change the way you give. You're going to change your view on generosity. So Gideon goes and prepares a wonderful offering. And, and, and the offering that he prepares, it says he prepared a young goat. I guess like perineal or something like that. Like he, or, or some ribs or something. I don't know what would be the modern version of that. And from Ephah, a, a flower. He made bread without yeast, Olive Garden breadsticks, <laughs> putting the meat in a basket and it's broth in a pot. So he makes him some chili, too. I love that, man. He gets, that's, that's like the three, the triumvirate there. It's amazing. Makes some chili. And, and, and it says, put the broth in a pot. He brought them out and offered it to him under the oak. And the angel of God said, take the meat and the unleavened bread, place them on this rock and pour out the broth. So there's the rock there that Gideon thinks is going to be sort of like a picnic table. But, but the angel says, pour, pour that out, put the meat and the bread on this thing. He's going to turn this picnic table into an altar. God is about to receive this offering that represents Gideon's faith. 
to move to another level, to accept a higher level of responsibility. See, God is challenging you today. Are you ready to go to the next level? Are you ready to make a higher commitment to God in your soul, in your heart? Are you ready to take it serious and start believing? Because Gideon asked for a sign. He's saying, I'll move. I'll give an offering, but, but give me a sign. And God says, okay, let's see what you're ready to do. So he prepares him this wonderful meal. And it says that meal and the angel of the Lord touched the meat and the unleavened bread with the tip of his staff that was in his hand. Fire flared from the rock, consuming the meat and the bread. And the angel of the Lord disappeared. When Gideon realized that it was the angel of the Lord, he exclaimed, Alas, sovereign Lord, I have seen the angel of the Lord face to face. But the Lord said to him, Peace. Do not be afraid. You are not going to die. So apparently Gideon was so overwhelmed with the glory of God in this moment. He was fearful that he was going to die. So God, I mean, that, that shows you how intense the encounter was with God in that moment when he saw the fire and he disappeared. He was fearful for his life. The Lord comforted him. And it says in verse 24 that Gideon built an altar to the Lord there and called it. Now, I'm not going to read what my Bible says exactly. I'm going to first tell you what the Hebrew is. It says he called that place Jehovah Shalom. So Jehovah, what does that mean? I am. And what does Shalom mean? I am peace. You know, we've seen Jehovah Rapha or Jehovah Jireh. I am your provider. I am your healer. This is one of the compound names of, the God, of God that Gideon names that place Jehovah Shalom, meaning this is the place of peace. And what I love about that is Gideon had yet to confront his enemy. He had yet to actually get into a battle. So all of his opposition was in front of him, but he was naming this place peace. You can have peace in your soul when there's a war going on all around you. That's what happened to Gideon is he got peace in his soul and named the place peace. And it goes on in verse 25 to say, that same night, the Lord said to him, take the second bull from your father's herd, the one seven years old, tear down your father's altar to Baal and cut down the Asherah pole beside it. So the altar to Baal was this false God that was the anti-God, the anti-Christ of the time. And the Asherah pole was the goddess of fertility, represented the goddess of fertility. So as sensuality, sexuality, Israel was worshiping false gods. And so he tells him to go and confront the, the, the cultural uh, thing that was separating Israel from God. So essentially what is happening is this angel is saying, before I give Israel the victory, you have to confront the syncretism that is going on in your culture, meaning you have got to confront the acceptance of multiple belief systems. That's what syncretism is. It's when you incorporate multiple religions, multiple belief systems. It's the idea that there's no one that's right. Everyone is right. They just have a different way of saying it. All religions lead to the same place. Uh, they just have, you have your way of doing it. They have their way of doing it. There's a problem with that. You know what the problem is? It's not true. Jesus claims that he is the way, the truth, and the life. That no one can come to the Father except through him. 
So if, if that's true, then that means none of the other things can be true. The only one that can actually be true is what he's saying. That's why God said regularly of himself in the Old Testament that he is the one and only God. I mean, he said in Isaiah, he said, I know of no other gods. He said, he's basically saying, I know everybody and there are no other gods. I never met one because there ain't one. I'm the only one. So what the angel and what God is telling Gideon to do, and I want you to get this. This is really important. It's easy to miss. Is that this false worship that had incorporated itself into Israel's life sort of is a representative of what we do as Christians, too. We want to say that we're Christians and accept God, but we want to be very accepting of everyone else. Now, what I mean by accepting is not meaning showing kindness and dignity to people who have opposing belief systems. We should do that. It's very important that we show decency and love and, and encouragement uh, to people that are totally different than us, that have different belief systems. Be, be nice, be sweet, be kind, be thoughtful to them, but affirm Belief systems that are wrong? Absolutely not. Tell them that you're right and I'm right too. We just have two ways, different ways of going. No, absolutely not. What God is saying is go tear down that idol. You tear down that idol and you stand for what is right. Then I will be behind you. But I will not get behind. God is saying, as a matter of fact, the thing that caused your problems to begin with is opening your life up to things that are wrong. And incorporating and building those things inside your camp, allowing false idols to be inside your camp. So he says, go tear down your father's altar to Baal. Cut down the Asherah pole beside it. Then build a proper kind of altar to the Lord. He says, using the wood of the Asherah pole that you cut down, offer the second bull as a burnt offering. So Gideon, I love this. Verse 27 is so good. It's kind of funny too, because it says Gideon took 10 of his servants and did as the Lord told him. You're like, ooh, he's, that's, that's pretty bold. I mean, because he knew that everyone in town worshipped Baal. Two, they allowed it. The Asherah pole, that was big to them. They had allowed this false kind of worship into their life. So you think, ooh, Gideon was bold and brave. It says, but because he was afraid of his family and the townspeople, he did it at night rather than in the daytime. Don't you like that? He got some of his buddies like, he's like, yeah, man, we're going to go tear down his idol. God told me he's on my side, but. We're going to go at night so everybody wear black so no one sees us. Yeah, we go like, do, yeah, it's like he's, he's freaked out a little bit. So they go into the town and they do the thing at nighttime. Then it says in the morning when the people of the town got up, there was Baal's altar demolished with the Asherah pole beside it cut down and the second bull sacrificed on this newly built altar. And they asked each other, who did this? When they carefully investigated, they were told Gideon, the son of Joash, did it. The people of the town demanded to Joash, bring out your son. He must die because he has broken down Baal's altar and cut down the Asherah pole beside it. I love this. But Joash replied to the hostile crowd around him. Are you going to plead Baal's cause? Are you trying to save him? Whoever fights for him shall be put to death by morning. If Baal really is a God, he can defend himself when somebody breaks down his altar. So because Gideon broke down Baal's altar, they gave him the name Jerob Baal that day saying, let Baal contend with him. 
That's unbelievable. I love that. That Gideon is this guy that doesn't know anything about battle, doesn't know anything about being a high-level leader. All he knows is that God has called him to do something. He does something bold that could get him killed, and he does it even fearfully. That's what I love about that part, that the Bible included that. It included the fact that he did it at night. It means there are times in your life where you're doing the right thing for God that you might do it really afraid or really unsure of yourself, but do it nonetheless. You take a stand to do what God has called you to do. You make sure that you're tearing down the altars and the things in your life that are, that are not for the Lord, that do not honor God, that you pull down and you tear down idols in your life. Revival comes when God can find people that are bold enough and without fear that will tackle things that do not belong in the culture. In Daniel chapter 3, the subject of syncretism is actually addressed as well, and it's something that, that permeates our society. The idea that we should all have different belief systems that are all right and no one should claim exclusive truth. That's what the world wants you to do. The world wants to tell you you're allowed to worship on Sundays wherever you want. You're allowed to worship in your house however you want. But don't you ever say what you believe is true and someone else's is false because that's hateful. That's what people say. But it's not true. I mean, it's just absolutely not true. The word of God stands alone. It stands for itself. And in Daniel chapter 3, Nebuchadnezzar built this massive idol, 90 feet tall, 9 feet wide, made of gold. Everyone saw it from everywhere. It was a wonder. And he called that everyone in Babylon, when they saw this idol and they heard the music play, they all had to bow their knees. Now, a lot of times people think that, they, that he just wanted worship for himself, but that's actually not what this statue and this idol was about. This idol was about a massive multicultural city that embraced hundreds of different belief systems, hundreds of different religions. This idol represented the social idea that everyone should be free to do what they want to do, that there is no truth, that no matter what your truth is, that if you believe in Christ and you worship God and God alone, when you see this idol and you hear this music, you still will bow your knee and admit that everyone is right in their own way. That's what this idol represented. Because being a big, massive culture, even Nebuchadnezzar realized you have to have different belief systems systems and give people space to believe their own way. But he ran into three guys named Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And that wasn't even their real names. That was their Babylonian names. They were Jews who were deeply devoted to God and deeply worshiped God. And Babylon took them out of their culture, gave them new names, was trying to integrate them in a godless culture. And what would happen is over a couple of years, you would integrate so much into culture, you would forget about your faith. But they hadn't been integrated long enough because they didn't forget about their faith. As a matter of fact, when, when the music sounded and, and the whole entire city came in front of this statue, the music sounded, every single person bowed except for three. There were three people that did not bow. They said, I, I just simply will not agree that everyone is right. I won't do it. I will not agree that every philosophy is right, and it all leads to the same place. I will live in this culture with you. I will respect you. I will be friends with you. I will buy your lunch. I will even have a meal with you. I'll go to a soccer game with you. You can be a friend of mine, but 
no, 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 no. I am not going to say out loud and publicly declare that everyone is just as right as each other because I serve the one true living God. I serve the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, and I will not bow my knee to that philosophy. That's literally what they said. So Nebuchadnezzar tells them, you, his, his guys come to him and say, there's a problem. Everyone's bound except three people. Who is it? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. We'll heat the furnace up then. We're going to throw them in the furnace. So he comes to them. He says, let me tell you something right now. You want to take your little stand and say that Jesus is the way, the truth, the life. You want to take your stand and say that you serve the one true living God, that you have an exclusive claim on truth, that you're better than everyone else. You want to take your stand? Well, you're going to die. So what do they say? They say, let, me, let us make ourselves real clear to you. We serve a God that we believe is for us. And we believe that he is going to deliver us from you. Okay, so, so he's much bigger than you. He's much bigger than your rule. He's much bigger than your furnace. He's much bigger than your idol. He's much bigger than your philosophy. So we believe he will deliver us. Here's the important thing, though, is they said, but even if he doesn't, even if he, even if you throw us in that hot furnace, and we burn to death over this. He could have delivered us if he wanted to. But we are not going to bow to that mindset. We're not going to bring. See, don't, we live in that culture where people read their Bible in the morning and they don't like what it says, so they read their horoscope at night. We, we have introduced multiple streams of philosophies into our life that are just like building a pole or, or an idol right in the middle of our camp. And God said, before I deliver you from the enemy that is oppressing you, you have to deliver yourself from the things that you brought on yourself. You've got to cut down the idols in your life. You got to bring me an offering. Oh, and then nobody's going to stop you, but don't you bow your knee. Do not bow your knee. Why did everyone else bow their knee? Because nobody wanted to get canceled. They said, if I, if I stand, I'm going to get canceled. But Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they didn't care about getting canceled. They cared about standing for the truth. So will you stand for the truth in your life today? Will you stand for the truth in your family? Will you cut down and tear down the idols in your life that have been bringing oppression into your life, that have caused you, instead of living in the promised land, to live in a hole? I'm going to live in no hole if I've been, get, been promised an abundant life in Jesus. Jesus said, the enemy comes to steal, kill, and destroy, but I have come that you may have life and have it abundantly. I'm going to live the abundant life. I ain't going to settle for living under no rock. If God has called to live me, for me to live big, I'm going to live big. And that means I'm not going to bow my knee. So I'm challenging you today. You dig in. You look at your life. You do some proving in your life because you can't have an altar to Jehovah Shalom and an altar to a false God on the same property. One cancels the other out. You do some digging in your life. You cut down those 
you cut down those idols, you give God an offering, and you watch what he does in your life. We're gonna get into the rest of the story uh, at a later time. This fire is so amazing, the way God uses Gideon to deliver Israel from the Midianites. It's, it's unlikely, and there's some strange things, some strange, the way that he uses Gideon as a really unlikely leader. And, and, and you're, you might be an unlikely leader, I hope so, because God loves those. He gets a lot of glory from them. But I believe big things are ahead for you. I believe God is moving in our church, in our city. Can't wait to see what comes next. We're in the middle. You know, isn't it great to be in the middle of revival? You know, people pray for revival and wonder what, what it looks like. We're, we're experiencing it. And it's powerful. But I think there's more for you. You just open up your heart. I'd just like to ask you to bow your heads and close your eyes today as we close out this incredible service. And uh, I'm just going to give an appeal for those that do not know the Lord and have not committed your life to Jesus. If that's you today, you've not committed your life to Jesus. You've never surrendered your life to Jesus. You've never offered your life to be under the authority of Christ, to surrender your desires, to surrender your passions to him, your proclivities to him, to experience what Jesus and Paul talked about when he said, I will put a new heart in you. Take the old heart away. If you're willing to receive a new heart, if you've, if you've never asked God to give you a new heart, which means being willing to lay the old one down and everything that goes along with it. If that's you here today, I believe God is moving. I believe there's something for you. I believe it's time to step in to a new life of faith. Step out of the old life into the new one. And that's a life of surrendering yourself to Jesus. If you're watching online, I'm gonna count to three. If you're in this room, I'm gonna count to three. When I do, I'm gonna ask you just lift your hand up over your head as a sign of surrender. It's not the hand going in the air that means you're saved. The Bible actually says if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. So it's a combination of not only what comes out of your mouth as a true confession, and a confession is something that's true. It's not just saying something. So you can't just repeat words. That's not a confession. That's just, that's a recitation. A confession is something that's actually true. It says, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead. You'll be saved. So I believe that those raised hands are just a sign that you're confessing and believing. If that's you today on three, I'm gonna ask you to lift your hands. One. Two, three, hands up all over the room. My goodness, so many, many, many hands in this room today. That's incredible. Online, would you lift your hand up over your head wherever you are right now? Would you type in that chat? I'm lifting my hand. Let some people know in the chat that you're receiving Jesus. I believe God is moving your situation. Could we pray this prayer together online and in the room out loud? Say, I ask you, Lord, to forgive me of my sins. I'm putting my faith in Jesus turning away from the old life. I'm tearing down the old altars that do not honor the Lord. And I'm offering them to you, Lord. Use my life. Give me a brand new heart. Give me a brand new I'm walking out of the past into a future that is filled with hope because Jesus died for me and rose again so I could have eternal life. I'm forgiven of my sins. I have a brand new start today. In Jesus' name. Jesus. 
Amen. Come on, could we give God a great praise today? He is faithful. He is good. You are a world changer, full of purpose. You are a mighty, mighty warrior. Look at someone next to you. Tell them one more time. Say, you're a mighty warrior today. This concludes the teaching. If you'd like to support what God is doing here at City of Life, click on the Give button at www.col.tv or text a dollar amount to the number 855-997-6900. We hope you'll join us again.